Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. Together, we're going to have conversations about what it's like to be a woman in the gaming industry, how we can better support women in the gaming industry, and what we can do to build a better environment for everyone. So from struggle to success, we're covering it all. For returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. And if you can, tell a friend, leave a five-star rating and review, you know, the whole podcast thing. And for our new listeners, welcome, and I hope you really enjoy this episode. We have a really awesome guest this week. I'm so excited to introduce Taryn McCarty. Taryn is head of community development at Nerd Street Gamers. Welcome to the show, Taryn. If you could just tell us a little bit about your journey and your background, I would love to hear the Taryn McCarty biography. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate um, you reaching out and, and contacting me. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Taryn McCarty. I'm the head of community development for Nerd Street Gamers. Um, I am relatively new to the esports scene, about two years new. Um, prior to that, I was more in the advertising realm of things. So basically, I was working from anywhere where a startup when Groupon was around to the Wall Street Journal. Um, worked for a few data startups, um, had some exits. And my last startup, I had some time to really think about what I wanted to do. Um, I'm a woman who is very passionate about sports, whether it be women's professional sports, um, amateur sports, um, also a huge fan of football and um, the Premier League, more importantly. Um, but I, I really just put some time and said, like, I really wanted to be in sports, unfortunately, during a recession. So I was just thankful to have a job, never mind be picky about what I had. Um, so I was sitting there and like, you know what? I think I really wanted to be involved in sports, um, sitting next to my, my friend's seven-year-old daughter at the time. And she was on YouTube watching streamers and, you know, I'm a gamer myself, not competitive by any nature, but really just said, I need to think about esports a little bit more, um, at the time. And still today I live in Philadelphia, um, learned a little bit more about nerd street gamers and met John, Danny, and a few other members of the nerd street team and really heard their vision for not only what they wanted the company to do, but what they wanted the entire industry to do. And I fell in love. So I really wanted to be a part of everything that they were growing. Um, so I actually started off there uh, in collegiate business development. So I was working with colleges and figuring out how to build their programs and their infrastructure. Um, come pandemic, uh, colleges were really struggling and figuring out what their next move um, but at the time, we were still opening our local host facilities and really trying to engage with local communities. Um, so I kind of took that on and, and really started building that out more, not only from a localized level, um, because we do have, as of last week, nine local host facilities across the country. Um, but really, like, how do we make an impact bigger than that? So working also with national organizations such as the Special Olympics. Very cool. Can you tell me a little bit about how your past experience at places like Groupon and Tech Startups and other places have has kind of translated to your current position? Absolutely. Um, I think that the world is driven by revenue. So I think as long as you True. understand mm -hmm. some of advertising and sponsorship opportunities, that definitely helps. Um, I've not only been in business development, but I've also been in product management um, from a software standpoint. Um, but also from a physical standpoint. So I think really just being able to hone in on a couple of my experiences in those realms really helped me translate that to today where I'm coming up with creative ideas on the fly all the time, just saying, this is something that I'm seeing in the marketplace that's needed. How do we make this come into fruition and going from there? Um, I think that we can all learn from traditional sports organizations too. And, and I see a lot of members of teams, not only come from traditional sports organizations, but also companies that have various venue experience. Gotcha. That's one thing. So in, in the esports community, it seems like there's always this kind of push and pull between wanting to be compared to traditional sports and wanting to be completely new and separate from traditional sports. So how do you see that conversation? Because there's certainly things you can pull, but is there, I mean, I, I think that, I personally think that there's an opportunity to do better than traditional sports have done as well. Um, so 
how do you see that comparison and what kinds of things do you like or dislike about it? Yeah, I personally think we can learn from each other. I think that, you know, esports has done a great job right now. We're growing so, so rapidly. And I think traditional sports, you can see that they now understand that esports isn't going away. Um, and I think that Finally. a lot of people are, yeah, it, it's, it's just very <laughs> funny. Like I, I feel like a lot of the time is more convincing people. Um, I always laugh because most of my job is actually education, right? I'm trying to teach people exactly what esports is and different opportunities mm -hmm. behind it because everyone sees it as, Oh, my kid plays, you know, in the basement, you know, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. a competitive opportunity. Whereas you go to some of these colleges, they know that not only is it an opportunity, but it's a recruitment tool for a lot of these different schools. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So really just being able to, to work with that. But to answer your question, I think that we can all learn from each other. I think traditional sports has done a great job just in terms of some of the actual infrastructure plays and their various partnerships with other organizations that I try and mimic, if not replicate, mm -hmm. um, like the Special Olympics, like a couple of other organizations. Gotcha. Um, but I think that traditional sports is now understanding that esports isn't going away and they're starting to really hone in and say, how do we partner, um, you know, how do we get each team to understand what esports is and, and a couple of different um, influencers, both professional players um, have come on board our team. Um, but I think everyone's really excited and we see so many tremendous opportunities to, to partner together, not only from the, you know, the sponsorship standpoint, but also from a local community. Like, can we make a difference in these kids lives um, that might not necessarily have the opportunities to do so? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and about what Nerd Street does um, just for people who aren't familiar with it or some of the projects you've worked on that you're just really excited about in terms of getting the local community connected and what the mission is? Because it's also a national organization. So I know you're out of Philly, but there's certainly other people working on other projects across the country. So I'd love to hear more about that. Of course. Um, so at Nurse Street, what we believe is access, opportunity, and integrity. So access, you can think about that from providing any type of educational or competitive opportunities. Um, but this comes with access, right? So if you're a, um, a kid that doesn't necessarily have access to a PC or um, a, a console, how do we give these people access to high-end equipment at affordable rates in a place that is a facility that they can understand and operate? So think about that, that local hockey pucks and things like that. Um, opportunity is more like how do we showcase these talents to professional sports teams, to college sports teams, um, and building the path to pro for these kids and making opportunities that they necessarily wouldn't have. Um, and then integrity, obviously, we're, we want everyone to make sure that they have the same opportunities as everyone else, either internet access or, you know, purchasing power, whatever they're, they're deciding to do. And I think with, with those types of things, it's our local host facility kind of brings that barrier down, right? So you come into our local host facility, you have the same competitive opportunities as the kid next to you. Um, and that really helps a lot of people in terms of of understanding, you know, we've, we've gone in a virtual world and we've grown a ton, but I think that in-person play is still the backbone to esports. Ooh, I like that as a, uh, as a conversation point there, because obviously we've seen so many changes over the pandemic. One of them being that kids haven't gotten to do any type of in-person activity for a long time here, kids and adults, to be fair. Um, we have been struggling too, but how do you see that shaping in the future because I think everyone kind of immediately assumed that things like esports and competitive video games which is sort of automatically translate to the virtual world that it was very easy we we're lucky to be into an industry that offers that as an option but how do you see in-person events meetups things like that I don't know uh working into the way competitive gameplay is developed in the future yeah. I mean, we, the block is a perfect way of describing this. Um, we just opened our 20,000 square foot facility right on Broad Street in Philadelphia. Um, and the week before and the week of, um, we had lines out the door for, for multiple events that we, we hosted. Um, the, when the, when we first opened, it was actually Fragadelphia was sold out. There was a line around the block. We had a lot of different partners come in. Like, uh, I didn't know there was going to be a line around the block. We had a tremendous, tremendous showing. Um, and even this upcoming weekend, we have our Valorant, um, Fragadelphia event, 
which is also going to be insane. Um, you can see it in players. They're really excited to see each other teammates and you have various practices, but when you're actually in person and you're having that experience, it's a total mm -hmm. different move. Likewise, you know, we have a giant, um, stage on, on our facility. Casters are looking at them, just the entire feeling. You could feel the energy that is totally different than watching a stream. And there's nothing wrong with streams at all, because, you know, we all know that over right. COVID, I think esports actually got a better reputation, especially from a parental lens. Now they understand mm -hmm. it's not just about playing video games in the basement. They understand a lot they, that their kids got a lot of social, emotional learning that they oh, wouldn't yeah. necessarily find. Um, mm -hmm. But it still doesn't take place that that in-person feel. I mean, you know, we had a couple partners. It was everyone was screaming. There was so much buzz in the air, you know, especially during the championship series. There's a lot of different um, excitement that you just can't replicate digitally. So then just to complicate things a little bit, because <laughs> we have this I have this debate. I'm on the business of esports live after show every week sure. and we have a big a big push that it's going to be a ready player one type of future. So you're going to pop on a headset and be able to attend things. So how do you think that's going to compare to in-person 10, 20 years down the line? Obviously it's impossible to exactly predict the future, but do you think that the magic of in-person is going to be able to overcome the magic of VR, I guess? I think the metaverse and VR, it will definitely have its place. Um, but I think I don't see it happening sooner than later. Um, I still see that competitive play and I do see sports isn't going away. I see esports won't go away either. So it, I, I understand it. It is a very debatable subject. Um, mm -hmm. I think that both will exist. Like, I don't know why you would want one or the other if you could have both. I tend to agree with you. Um, yeah. I know that there are others that I work with who have a different view, but as someone who is a huge traditional sports fan and a former athlete, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine giving that up in the same way that I would imagine that a lot of pro gamers, yeah, they, you know, you want the stage in the real life interaction and you're totally right. I, I, um, attended pre-COVID big apex tournament and it was so much fun and it's just, the, the amount of things that you can put on a screen that add to the experience too, that you don't get with traditional sports, right? All of the kind of overlays and angles that you can get of different players. It's so cool. Very fun. Um, to like our generation just still has that emotional attachment to in-person, you know what I mean? And that's not going to go away for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was actually just watching an interview with Keanu Reeves and he said that he was at a a dinner with like a 17 year old and he was explaining what the matrix was and how like he wanted to know if it was real life or not. And the 17 year old said like, who cares if it's real or not? Like I wouldn't. And I think that's kind of the difference between generations, right? Like mm -hmm. they don't actually mind. Um, whereas we're kind of still emotionally attached to the outcome there. Ooh. So then do you think in 10 or 20 years we might have a more ready player one style of attending events? Uh, as, a, as a preference, I'm not talking about the technolo technological part, I, I the emotional that, part. <laughs> I see that even for concerts, right? I mean, uh -huh. I think that people really tend to draw emotional experiences from different events. Um, and I think the gaming population definitely has that 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 view. But I think there's a whole different population that esports hasn't tapped into yet for that in-person, really understanding that. And once mm -hmm. that happens, um, it'll be interesting to see the two navigate. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think that it's... I mean, it's impossible to predict what the world's going to look like 10 years from now. I, I don't I certainly don't think 10 years ago I was thinking about a pandemic. So who knows? Um, but just to pull or to pull back a little bit, can you tell me a little bit more? You mentioned the block and that it opened in Philly. But can you tell me more about the development of that facility and what it does for the local community and what kind of things you're looking to do in other local communities or that kind of that path for developing other other areas like the block and other places? Sure. So we opened our 20,000 square foot facility, um, right on broad street in Callow Hill in Philadelphia. Come visit us. Um, it's has about 150 PCs. We have, um, a console lounge, we have food and beverage. We have a large staging area all set up for competitive gameplay. Um, huge led screen, uh, casters, um, 
And I think just in terms of the background of it is more of that team room aspect. So like places that teams can come and, and practice and have a safe place to play um, and also have that high speed Internet access that wouldn't necessarily have the same Internet. So for practice purposes, Um in terms of like what we're doing with the local community, everything. Um, right now I'm talking with everyone from the city of Philadelphia, um, whether that be their Philadelphia Parks and Rec Department, getting them to understand who, what we are. Um, we were thankful actually to start a partnership with them during the pandemic. So we started it completely virtual. They said, we have all these kids that we know are siloed home. We had to shut down our recreation centers. How do we help them? Um, so we hosted an NBA 2K tournament on their behalf, which was great. We had a ton of ton of kids sign up, but what we found out is that a lot of kids don't even understand how esports is competitively played. So we learned a lot from that in terms of how we can train um, some of the rec leaders to, to empower these kids. How does a bracket work? How does an esports tournament work? What is discord? A lot of things that people take for granted that frankly, we really need to. So there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, which is why that whole metaverse conversation is kind of like, yes, I do see it happening, but I think we still have a long way to go. Um, but also partnering with, with other, um, universities locally, right? We have Temple down the street. St. Joe's is 20 minutes away. We have six city colleges near us. How do we empower these kids to be able to come in? Because we know that college hasn't been normal for them in a, in a couple of years. So we'd love them to come in and be able to offer um, some type of event or, or situation that, that they feel safe in, even if it's not just their esports team, maybe it's just kids that, that want something else. Again. Um, so really just being able to, to shout out those local organizations, always talking to different high schools in the area. So it, it really just depends on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and again, the block is really excited about it, but we also have eight other facilities nationwide. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm not only working with Philly, um, I'm working with Oceanside, I'm working with Bakersfield, I'm working with St. Louis and trying to figure out each community because they are so different. Bakersfield, California? Bakersfield, California. Wow, my sister was actually born there. That's so, so that's funny. funny. Yeah, because that's not a very big city. They were in Bakersfield and uh, they moved to Tatchby shortly afterwards, but it's rare to hear that name. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. And, and, you know, our store manager there, he's amazing. And there's a whole different community. Like Bakersfield has their own Comic-Con. Things that you wouldn't necessarily know, yeah. but they have all no of these idea. different communities have their yeah. own strengths. Um, and it's just a matter of understanding them and really being able to, to embrace them and tap into these local communities and say, like, how can we help? It's also nice that you all seem to have locations in not the main gaming cities either. Bakersfield is outside of LA, but quite a, quite a bit outside of LA. And obviously Philadelphia is its own city, but I don't know that you think of gaming hubs, pretty much it's LA, New York. That's kind of it. Maybe Chicago sometimes, but not really. <laughs> um, so it's really nice that these are spread across the country in places that don't get a lot of the attention on, in terms of building the gaming community. Was I don't know if that was intentional or not, but... Yeah, I, I think, you know, our we have a whole real estate team that is in charge of figuring out and navigating all of our different local hosts. And so mm -hmm. far, they've done a great job because I have had nothing but a great time with all the different local communities and, and figuring out, you know, how we can partner together. Um, our Texas facility is actually right outside of Austin in Georgetown, Texas. What a cute, cool little city that's just 20 yeah. minutes away from Austin. Never would have thought about it. Um, but it is a very, very cool city, right? And they have a college right across the street from our local host. There's, there's a ton of different things to do. Um, and I think just more importantly, like how do we get, um, other partners, even from a state level? Cause a lot of, a lot of times when I'm talking to partners, um, they don't even understand like how a, a land center operates. Um, you know, one of my first partners in Texas was actually Special Olympics of Texas, um, their specific state chapter. Um, and we did a training program for them. And actually, this, the uh, Special Olympics of Colorado, because of our Denver facility, um, mm -hmm. in saying, like, they want to figure out how to bring esports into their, um, their roster. But they don't understand how they can coach 
some of their coaches how how esports works. So we have that. So how can we partner together and create that first ever Special Olympics training program for them, um, which is oh, exciting cool. for us because it's a huge passion point for me. Um, mm-hmm. Able to be nimble and saying like this is an opportunity that should be in every state, not just um, these three states. Let's. It's good to know about Georgetown because I have beef with Austin. (laughs) Um, I was just there in October and not enough 24-hour pharmacies, which I did not know I was so accustomed to. But when you need poster boards and markers at midnight and there's no way of accessing them, quite annoying. (laughs) And uh, anyway, it's such a like, I'm glad to know that there's other cities because we were staying, I was there for the Formula One race. So we're staying near Circuit of the Americas and like two and a half minutes outside of Austin, there is just nothing. So yeah, maybe we didn't go far enough to the three minute mark. Austin is, is a market that is just booming like crazy. It's I mean, exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Austin I mean, Miami, they're the new two absolutely. Cubs. I've, I have had a, a couple friends that have lived there over the last eight years and I generally visit them once a year and every year something is just crazier and more different than, and every time I go there, it's very funny. It's becoming a little bit more LA than I ever anticipated. That's what I've heard. I've heard some grumbles from some some local Austinite who say that too. Queso's still good though, so that's all that matters. Right, Torchy's Tacos. I tried it. Did it lived up to uh, expectations? As there you go. One of the best taco places in Austin. So, um, but I wanted to go back to when you talked about uh, Special Olympics and partnerships. That was one of one of the questions I have here. Is is how have you been able to develop these relationships with sponsors and partners? I know you talked about the Special Olympics. On the other side, we've seen celebrity partnerships and sponsorships. I specifically saw Juju Smith-Schuster, who I love, a Steelers wide receiver. So that was really fun. But when you're looking for partnerships and sponsorships, what are you looking for? Uh, how are you able to collaborate with different people at Nerd Street? What's kind of the mission of those collaborations? Can, can you just speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So the three mission words I earlier, that isn't something that we just look to just for, you know, people that we want in our facility. We also look for them in various partners. Um, Juju is an amazing partnership that we have. We're really expanding on our partnership with him. Um, but really seeing the passion that he has not only for esports but also the, his surrounding community is huge. So I anticipate us doing a lot more community work than I ever anticipated, which is a great, great news for me and great news for the community. Um, I think from, um, other standpoint, it's really just understanding your audience too. Um, for example, I have a partnership with Thomas Jefferson university's neurodiversity and autism unit. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Wendy Ross is, is their leader there. And basically a huge portion of gamers are actually either autistic or somewhere on the spectrum. So when we're having these nine stores, how are we training our staff? How are we understanding the needs of these, of these individuals? Um, so they actually came up with a training program for our entire retail staff, and we are planning on giving it to them at least two, three times a year. We just had our kickoff a couple months ago, but really just being able to understand your population. Um, you know, every day someone's that, you know, I have a really close reputation too with our, our store managers because they're the ones with their boots on the ground. They're saying, this is happening. We have, you know, this is Brentwood day, or we have a school that just came in. You know, if, if this is a need that that community has, then we should be partnering in that way. And I think understanding those needs really helps our business development team understand different sponsorships that they can have not only nationally, but locally, because a lot of the, the times that they're looking for this to solve the same problems that we are. Um, so I think it's just a matter of, of finding those, those little navigating um, answers that the local community can only serve, but also being able to just like have partnerships and, and reputations, you know, I'm lucky enough that I just pick up my cell phone and I can text a lot of my different partners because, you know, we're all in this together. Like, that's what I always say to them. Like, we're building this entire industry together. Like how can we do it in a way that benefits everyone? Um, mm. but also it's not just about the kid that wants to be a professional esports player. It's about our broadcast team. Like we're going to need more kids that want to be casters and, and want to operate cameras and really understand how broadcast works. I'm in business right. development. We need marketing. We had, it's an entire industry that we really need to empower and grow. Um, so how can we do it with like-minded partners? Well, and I, that's a good point because part of the reasons why I start, part of the reason why I started this show was because I wanted to highlight not just 
streamers uh, and people who are very forward facing and public facing, which is great. They they have their own struggles and their own difficulties, but there is, you know, they're one percent of the picture and one percent of what you can do in gaming. And so the other ninety nine percent often, I think, gets a little lost. So I like that that's that's sort of a focus um, when it comes to celebrity partnerships or. I, I don't know if celebrity is the right word, but I don't know. People who have a large following when it comes to partnerships with that type of person. Are you seeing a lot of crossover Like, as in are they able to bring their audience to you all? Or is it more so that your audience enjoys having them or seeing the things that they do? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it also depends on each individual event or, or thing that you're planning. Um, but again, goes back to that first one I made, like, I think we can learn from each other and leveraging right. different audiences and being able to expose different audiences. Um, but you know, Juju is amazing. He has an amazing following, but he also has that local community following from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh that I think, you know, we don't have a local host there, but I, I know eventually we would love to, um, especially because of the good things that he's doing and highlight that within the community. So really just being able to draw, like, how can we help? another community with our esports knowledge, knowing that he has that reputation from the local community and just trying to find and like navigate those like little partnerships are, are always like, that's, that's the exciting thing for me. Like my days are so different. Um, and I, I love that. I mean, it's just like, I'm, I'm always running around meeting really cool people and doing different things, but, um, I'm just lucky that we're, we're all able to figure this out together. I think that's also a good point because I think Usually we're thinking in terms of audience size of, I don't know, one to 10 million. And it's like, really, you, sh- you can think about audience size as one to 10,000 and do that a bunch of times. And it, it's more meaningful to those smaller audiences. And then you're able to kind of build off of that. So I don't know, when we talk about this influencer thing, it's sort of sort of like, well, even if Juju Smith-Schuster only brings 2000 people, those 2000 people are going to be highly dedicated to him and highly dedicated to what he's doing and therefore probably more likely to actually pick up on some of the things that he's interested in. So it might be a good thing um, to have just a small portion of that audience come over, but exactly. Anyway. And, and that's so translatable too to like local communities like Brentwood um, in St. Louis has a huge smash community and they are all in, in touch with each other on a daily basis. Like that's more important to us than going after a professional celebrity there because we know that they have the local community's best interests at heart And we want to be able to tap into that existing community and say, hey, please come play at our facility. Um, We'll host your meetup. We'll host your event um, instead of playing siloed at home. That's a really uh, interesting strategy. And and one that I I like, I think there's this whole authenticity question that goes around constantly in the gaming community and everything has to be authentic, 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 which it's a word that it when used in the proper context is a very powerful word. I tend to think it gets overused a bit uh, and that authenticity is maybe prioritized to a fault. But this is the truest sense of the word in that it's it's truly a grassroots effort to build a real community uh, rather than, I don't know, a, a overly hyped <laughs> yeah. creation of an organization. So, yeah. And a really lot of cool. times, you know, when you're building out, when you're thinking you're building out like a rack league or things like that, the hardest part is getting that ice time, getting that field time. We have it. Right. So please like figure out, like we, let's figure it out together and getting you in our actual facility because we have that infrastructure taken care of already. That's so cool. Uh, what a cool idea for, you know, a company really. Uh, but I also wanted to go back to, cause you are head of community development. And you touched a little bit on talking about, especially neuroatypical people, but how do you think about diversity diversity and inclusion more generally when you're building these spaces? Um, and what have you kind of done to make that a priority or what practices you employ to kind of make sure that there's a strong and inclusive community? Yeah, I think our company does a really good job of it. I think we can always get better. I mean, I think everyone can always get better at that. Um, But I think we always are trying to have someone in the room a little bit different than everyone, right? I think that's the only way you're going to be addressing diversity and inclusion is if you see someone in that room that looks like you or that represents you. 
Um, and I, I think esports is is kind of in that inflection point where they're realizing that and they're trying to make differences. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm making decisions and partnerships and things like that, I'm I'm constantly thinking like, how can we make this better? How can we have different partnerships with people that we might not necessarily think that might be a partner, but that definitely would be a good person to have in the room for the, for these different things. So it's not only that, it's just sitting on different boards, like hearing different opinions, hearing what's going on in various cities. Um, there's always a, there's always an official elected government official that wants to talk about some type of thing with esports because they understand it and they know they need to get behind it. Um, but again, education, huge piece, but that's a, yeah, that's my long-winded answer in diversity. And I, you know, I, it's not just, it's not just a gender issue. It's not just a race issue. It's an everyone issue. Um, how do we get everyone to be comfortable with the decisions that are made, not only from a personal standpoint, but from, um, a company standpoint. And one piece of that, that I'm so excited to talk about because in my former life, I worked on technology policy um, is broadband access. Uh, and you've talked a lot about just having the facilities open and being able to offer the infrastructure that people need is one way of incorporating more of the local community. But I would love to just nerd out on broadband development. And I know that you guys have kind of programs or things to sort of help people who don't have the connection access that they might need, uh, in gaming. So I would Love to hear about that and just to hear about what you've seen in terms of broadband access and how it hurts people or how how it plays into the gaming community. Just talk to me about broadband. <laughs> Haven't gotten to do this in a little bit. <laughs> for for us, it's it's actually keeping it really simple. It's saying I like I know that my internet is completely different from my neighbor's internet, which is completely different mm-hmm. from their neighbor's internet. And I think when you're thinking about building inclusion in esports and knowing what people may or may not have, regardless of their income or any of their background, it's going to be different across the, the board. Um, so when you're thinking about really building an esports generation um, that has that equity, it's really just being able to say, like, let's just level set here. Like, let's all get on the same um, internet access just to make sure that, like, you're not paying more or you have better internet access. So therefore, you're actually winning. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think more importantly than that, it's getting kids again, face to face, really just understanding um, and and kind of like level setting that toxicity as well. Um, Right. So I think there's, there's a number of different things that we could do there. Um, But our 401 location um, is a special place because it actually has its own zip code. Um, It has the highest internet access on the East coast, which is why we chose it. Um, so we are very excited to be there. Um, and there's net, it's actually the neutrality building for, for those listeners that want to look it up. Um, but it is, if I'm told if you are streaming Netflix from Boston, chances are it's coming out of this building. Um, so there's, there's a number of reasons we chose uh, 401, but, but most importantly, it really is that broadband internet access that you touched on. Which one is the 401 building? Is that that's that's our, our North Broad Street look at the block, if you will. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, that's wild. Okay, that's very yeah. cool that you guys yeah. are that close uh, sure. to where all the magic happens, basically. Um, Same building. Did, yeah. Have you seen kids come in and talk about lack of access at all? I, this is just I'm just curious from a digital as someone who, again, has researched the digital divide, which is basically just. The divide between those of us who have high-speed internet and those of us who don't. Um, but I'm just so curious as to what you've seen, you know, conversations or stories or anything like that that you've seen at Nerd Street um, and what it's like for people who are maybe the ones who don't have great access. Yeah, so during the pandemic, um, some of my partners reached out. When you're thinking about kids really going from a in-person school world to a virtual world, I think that's unfortunately where you saw a lot of the the disconnect in internet options. Um, that being said, you know, with example for Philly Parks and Rec, they had to open up what they called access centers so that kids that might not necessarily have access to internet had a place to have access to internet so that they could go on and have um, yeah. school in, per, in not in person, but virtually. Um, 
we really just wanted to be able to say like, how can we help you? Like maybe during the day when we're closed, we can open it as another access point. We have these high-end PCs, we have this internet access. How can we expand it to the local community and those needs? So I think the pandemic was great for some issues just in terms of like understanding esports, but I think it also a lot of the education um, surrounding internet and, and especially in a virtual learning world. Been saying it for two years now that I'm surprised that uh, more esports organizations and companies don't prioritize internet access as a means to move the industry forward as there's a lot of people out there who would play more games if they could. <laughs> you know, um, we're lucky that for some of our partners, like they're, they know that they need to make esports in every single rec center, but again, internet, mm -hmm. huge issue for them. Right. So how can we help them have opportunities through maybe some of our partners um, to kind of bridge that divide? So crazy that, yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm lucky to have started out in tech and kind of moved into gaming as more of a niche industry because getting the bigger view on these on these issues is really important. And it's I'm glad to hear that you guys are actually thinking about it. Um, and I, I hope in the future that more companies do think about it, because like I said, it's a kind of an untapped economic opportunity there um, of when people do actually have Internet access. Um, but I want to switch gears a little bit, because in a previous conversation, we kind of talked about this is the Meta Woman podcast. So I do want to touch on how being a woman did or didn't affect your your career trajectory. And I know we we briefly discussed this before. And one of the things that you had said is that you try not to, I don't know if this is the exact right phrasing, so you can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but you try not to dwell on your gender and just sort of do your job well. And this is something that what what you that that viewpoint is what I hope that all women can experience in the future for sure. I don't think any of us. I I, I think that there's a large portion of women, and I'm not trying to speak for everyone here, that just wish it wasn't an issue at all. It's like why not just hire me because I'm the best person for the job, regardless of however I choose to express my gender identity. Shouldn't matter. It should matter because I'm an expert in the field, or I am good at marketing, or I'm good at whatever I'm good at. And that's the reason why I'm in the position that I'm in. So I think that uh, it's actually nice to hear that you're someone who may have experienced that kind of career trajectory. I'm sure there's been bumps along the way, but I think that definitely speaks to the types of environments you've been in and the people that you've worked with, that you have been able to leave gender at the door. Um, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, um, but can you talk a little bit about the types of the types of settings you've been in and how you've been able to be where you are today as a result of that? Yeah. Um, you're, by the way, you're totally spot on for me. I really don't, don't talk about my gender. I don't discuss kind of like being a woman in the workplace because it really isn't an issue for me. Um, I think for me, I'm just trying to get the job done and be the best possible version of myself for, mm -hmm. for myself, for myself, both personally and professionally. Um, and I try not to compare myself. I think that's a huge thing that I, I used to do a lot is saying like, why can't I be in this position or why can't I be doing this industry? Um, when at the end of the day, it's more of an imposter syndrome with myself than someone limiting me. Um, if I ever I've never felt this way, but if I ever did, I would probably just leave and, and move to a new company. I'm very thankful that in not only my current, but my past jobs, I've never felt like gender was an issue whatsoever. I, I've, I feel like um, in our current work, we know that we need to be more inclusive, not only of women, but other different, you know, get, making sure that there's someone like everyone in the same room. Um, but I think just in, even in my previous jobs, I've been able to not only carve the path for myself, but also like my career trajectory in, in, in some of the bosses that I've had, um, whether they be women or whether they be men. Um, I think another huge thing for me, and this is something that took me a while to figure out is, is finding like cool, powerful women that I, I was just like, that is really cool to be and aspire to be like them and, and really like see things that they've done and see what they focus on and see 
what they're reading, what they're doing on a daily basis, because chances are, if you can, if you can kind of mimic that and really like think about different leadership standpoints, um, Mm -hmm. that's more important than really dwelling upon being a woman. Um, I think it's just, it's just awesome to be able to find not only like women, but mentors just to help you navigate that too. Um, but also being able to I forget what they call it. Like your little executive board for yourself. Like there are a number of women that I can call and say like different issues and, and they can say to me, no, you're making this up in your head, or actually you should focus on this. And that's when you start getting people saying, Hey, I I found this newsletter. I think you should join. Hey, there's a speaking opportunity. I can't do it, Mm -hmm. but I recommended you and finding that group of women and finding that group, not only women, but, but professionals, I think is really, really important. Do you have any advice for people who aren't in an environment? Because we've clearly seen there's been a lot of recent news, a lot of lawsuits um, that I obviously there's people in positions where this isn't it's not the same experience, which is completely normal. And I'm actually glad to have someone on who has a who's had a positive experience in the tech and startup world, because. I unfortunately find that that seems to be the rarer end of the spectrum um, than ones who have had negative experiences. But do you have any advice for people who are stuck in a either neutral or negative environment? So maybe maybe it truly is a toxic workplace. And obviously, in that case, it's good to leave. But what about an environment where it's not necessarily toxic, but you're also kind of just treading water? There's nowhere up to go. There's nowhere down to go. Um, do you have any advice for people who might be in sort of that middle ground position? Yeah, I think that is a difficult spot to be in because I think, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, it's, it's getting you in some ways. And then from a professional experience, you know, that you could be in a better environment. Um, I think it's really just being able to sit with yourself and saying, how can I be the best version of myself right now? Um, I think that sometimes, you know, your manager and you might not get along. Sometimes you might not necessarily be in the right role, but I think if, if the company is willing to kind of work with you and they know your worth, um, then it's definitely of interest for you to kind of like level set, um, and be that authentic version of yourself. And if it, sometimes jobs don't work out and it's not the end all be all, but I think knowing that you aren't the best version of yourself, and if you're not the best version of yourself, chances are the company could have done better too, right? They could have just in terms of like, they could have helped support you a little bit more and they want you to be the best version of yourself too, for the, for the company's aspect, they want to be able to be as successful as possible. So if you're not set up for success, chances are the company isn't. And I think just being able to have that honest, authentic conversation with either your boss, HR, whoever you think should be involved in that is really helpful. Now, the hard part is that knowing esports is pretty much a startup for, for the most part. I think a lot of the times it's, it's better to come up with a solution and present a solution than it is to come with a problem. Um, so a lot of the times when I've had issues either, you know, in, a lot of the times I dwell on my product management background because there's a lot of always like issues and, and roadmaps and whatnot. It's always better to lead with a solution than lead with a problem because once you're solution oriented, the chances are everyone else understands that you're really trying to solve this problem and not just be negative. Right. Well, and I think that that's an important distinction. Uh, also, just for people who have the opportunity to work with managers and bosses who are open minded. Uh, and that is obviously that is a huge piece of it. Uh, sometimes I think that people are more open minded than we'd expect, but other times it can definitely come back. Uh, bite you in the butt. (laughs) Um, yeah. And you know, the thing is it's, it's okay. Like we're all Mm -hmm. figuring this out together. We're all human beings. People mess up. Jobs aren't perfect. Companies aren't perfect. People aren't perfect. It is what it is. But I think just being able to lead from a place of authenticity is the most important part for you, whether it be a skill set or whether it be a job, like whatever you need, you gotta, you gotta let that meet your demands. Well, and I think also it, it, it speaks well to like this experience and this advice speaks well to what, what's going on at Nerd Street as well. So I, I, uh, I think it's really cool that you're able to offer this kind of advice, um, from a gaming company perspective and from working at gaming, a gaming company now for a couple of years, like that's, it's really refreshing to have a positive, (laughs) 
experience or positive feedback on on the workplace culture where you're at. Um, that's like I said, that's not I mean, it's not like this is supremely rare, um, but certainly we've seen a lot of news lately about. Yeah, oh. and I'm I am very lucky, right? I mean, I, I'm aware of that. Um, and I feel for people that are put in those positions because they're not always easy. But um, whenever I join a company or join a position, I really join for the people and the culture. And of obviously the job is important. But if you can find those people that know that you're people and you have each other's backs, like you spend more time. I know we're all virtual, but like at work than you do really with your family. So really being able to have that that candor and that experience has been really influential in my career. That's really cool. Um, speaking of sort of wellness and mental place and all of the stuff, you were recently published in a story on preserving self self care when everything is uncertain. And I liked that because as you talked about with imposter syndrome, mental health, I think has been a big focus. It's been a big focus for a long time, but I think it's become especially highlighted during the pandemic. And we're all thinking about working from home, hustle culture, that kind of everyone's coming to grips with it. Um, I'll definitely put a link in the show notes, but the piece was basically asking different female leaders how they were dealing with all of the general uncertainty of the past couple years. And I liked it because it was a whole bunch of different leaders. And like you said, it's important to read up on other female leaders. And your piece of advice was on, which I think, by the way, this piece of advice is extremely apt for a community development, the head of community development. I couldn't, I read this and I thought, oh my gosh, Taryn is totally in the community development mind frame. Um, But your piece of advice was to maintain connection with those you connect with on a daily basis in innovative ways, whether it was sending a personal note, having coffee over FaceTime, or having a company gaming event for your coworkers. Chances are you're feeling how you're feeling is similar to someone in your group and outreach is the best way to foster any connection, whether it's for personal or business reasons. So I just think that 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 speaks to your passion for community development (laughs) Um, because that's sort of similar to almost the whole conversation we've had about how you do what you do at Nerd Street. Um, But what has the past year been like for you as a woman in the industry, but also as someone who is in a community development role who's focusing on in-person events. Uh, what has everything been like? Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, I think every day is different. Um, but I think the most thing that I learned during the pandemic is to be as present as possible because you really don't know what the next day will be Mm -hmm. thinking too much in the future. You're just going to drive yourself crazy. Um, for me, really what has been a major focus, like that article was, was awesome. And it was in the height of the pandemic when I was having zoom happy hours and yoga classes with friends across the country. And we were, we weren't quite burnt out from that yet. Um, and I think, you know, after that, I definitely keep in touch with a lot of my friends more so like pre pandemic than I do, um, during the height of it. But I think now it's, it's really just being able to stay present and, and saying like, I'm really enjoying this client meeting today. And and yes, you definitely have aspirations and goals and things, but by thinking too, too far in advance and trying to get there and and really, you're just going to burn yourself out. Um, Hustle culture is real. And I think that there's definitely a benefit and some people thrive from that. But I think more importantly, it's trying to figure out like, what do you need in this moment? Like, what does the company need in this moment? How can I enjoy this moment? Um, rather than if I do this, then later I'm going to do this to make two years from now do this. Like, yes, it is always important to have goals, aspirations, but really just being able to stay present, I think is the best thing that I can do, not only for myself personally, but myself professionally. Um, lucky enough that I've been traveling a little bit for work and, and, you know, meeting cool people again, um, had a couple, you know, stints with, with being sick, but at the same time, just being able to, to stay as present as possible, um, definitely helps. Um, well, and what are some of the changes that you kind of hope stick around from this past year? I don't think we talk about that enough. Like we all talk about like, Oh, let's get back to normal. Let's get back to normal. But there are certain things that have changed that it could be for the better. So have you, has there been anything that you're kind of hoping sticks around about the past year, two years? It's a great question. Um, I think for me, 
that that present thing is definitely what I'm trying to do this year. Um, I think it's really just made me realize how we put so much pressure on ourselves to really go a million miles of yeah. ourselves some time to rest, whether that be mentally or physically. Um, and I think that that's a huge thing is just being able to like honor your limitations, both mentally and physically, and knowing that mm -hmm. your limitations might not necessarily be other people's has like limitations. Um, I tend to have a lot of energy, um, physically. So I, I know what my limitations are, but knowing mine are, are not necessarily the other person's. Um, but also being able to, to kind of like get in your own, like routine that you might not necessarily have. Um, there are definitely things I miss pre pandemic. Like I miss my podcast time commuting to work and I miss, you know, taking 30 minutes to go to lunch and things like that, that I don't necessarily do on a daily basis. But I think mm -hmm. how I've, um, how I've changed those habits are more like, maybe I could do a meditation. I'm making my lunch at home. There are good things to it. Um, but I think it's more just staying present and, and doing the best thing for you, both mentally and physically. Yeah, I definitely relate on the podcast time. For me, I was taking the train every day and got to read so many books. Um, and now it's like, I mean, obviously the same amount of time exists in a day. So I just carving it out is so much harder when you're at home. There's so many more distractions. So totally get that. Uh, so just to summarize real quick, we talked a little bit about what Nurse Street is doing, the core tenants, uh, community development work, which was really cool building partnerships and sponsorships that actually kind of have a more grassroots feel um, and getting involved in the local community. And we talked a lot about broadband access, which was great. So I hope that more people can kind of learn about broadband access and learn about the digital divide and kind of the gaps where the gaming industry has a lot of potential uh, to, to not only fill, but to gain from. We discussed a little bit about the previous work environments you've been in, how gender hasn't really been a factor. You've been able to be your authentic self, put your best foot forward and really uh, develop a career trajectory that's meaningful to you. We also talked about how having an executive board is a great way of keeping yourself in check and having someone to bounce ideas off of. And finally, we talked about maybe keeping some of the changes in the pandemic, maybe keeping our reframed mind when it comes to overwork or underwork or energy. and. Um, hopefully finding time to listen to podcasts <laughs> or read books. <laughs> but I like to end every episode with a moment of reflection, just a chance for you to think back on your career. And the question I'd like to ask is, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? I think if I could say to my younger self, I would say do exactly everything you're doing, make mistakes, take chances, do things that scare you. Um, because it's just going to build you into a stronger person. And I still try and navigate through that because I know in another 10 years, um, I will feel the same way. Right. <laughs> That's what I always think. I, you know, my younger self 10 years ago, I, I, I would love to give her advice, but the advice comes from experience. So in 10 years, I'm sure I'll have advice for current day means why would I do that? But that's, you know, part of being alive, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, Taryn, thank you so much for coming on today. It was such a joy to have you. Can you tell people where they can find you if you want to be found and uh, what any projects you're looking forward to or things you want to brag about? Yeah, I mean, um, Taryn McCarty, find me on LinkedIn. Find me on um, my website, myfirstlastname.com. Um, find me on Instagram, Twitter, whatever is easiest. Links to this too, Lindsay. But um, and, and if I can help at all anyone navigate their career, I always try and give back because enough people have given to me too. So However, it can help grow this industry and make more like-minded people happy to do so. Thank you so much. That's a great way to end. And if you haven't already, listeners, please leave five-star rating and review. Tell, tell your friend about the podcast. You know, that thing. But anyways, thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.